Ben Thompson here and welcome to the Pack Heavy podcast. Now this podcast is for anyone who works in the hospitality and food manufacturing industries who use flexible packaging to get their products to market. Featuring interviews with guests who have traveled the path that you're on so that you can learn from their successes and failures and engage in the mindset required to go all in on your vision. I call this mindset the pack heavy mentality and it's primarily driven by deliberate action and extreme organization. You gather market intelligence, put a strong plan in place, organize the appropriate resources, and then confidently test your hypothesis against reality. So if you're ready to pack heavy on your vision, you're in the right place, and I'm excited to have you here. G'day, and welcome to episode 77, where today I have guest Jack Boone, who is the founder and owner of Jungle HQ. Today's episode is a little different than the usual conversation that you're used to, but one that I thoroughly enjoyed having and one that I'm really excited for you all to hear. Now, the fitness industry is obviously very different to the food processing and CPG world that we all know so well, but I thought that it would be an interesting exercise to look outside of our four walls for some inspiration and for a reminder that business is business and some fundamentals just don't change. So Jack is a highly regarded and sought after coach, having worked with a vast range of individuals from regular people like me to elite athletes, international models, and high-performing corporate CEOs. Today's conversation is primarily focused on Jack's highly regarded boutique gym, Jungle HQ. We touch on his social media and content creation strategy, the incredible importance of not being afraid to stand out on your own and speak your truth in a very crowded market, and some great conversation on his experiences with psychedelics, which were primarily DMT and psilocybin, and how it's greatly impacted his mental health and outlook on life. So before we strap in and get stuck into the episode, if any of you have any feedback or questions from today's conversation, I would love to hear from you. Uh, Side note, I did bump into quite a few of you at the From the Ground Up trade show on Thursday, which was great. So thank you again for your consistent support. I sincerely appreciate every single one of you. And for everyone else out there, if this is your first episode of the podcast, welcome. And thanks for joining me here. And also feel free to chime into the conversation on LinkedIn and Instagram. So that's enough from me. Let's get on with the show. Enjoy. Jack, welcome to the show. Thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, really good, mate. We just said before we um, jumped online that it's been a few years since we've spoken. I left town in 2015 and here we are in 2022. Yeah, I actually am in shock that it's been seven years because it certainly doesn't feel like it uh, has been. But come think of it, did we originally meet one another out of when I was still operating from Zap, Zap. Fitness? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I went back yeah, and had a right. look. So, so, yeah, one of the earlier, I yep. suppose, relationships i built in melbourne yeah that's it mate so we met in the um flemington zap in 2013 and then i followed you to the victoria street location in carlton yeah you're kicking it all the way back to the start of the uh, story <laughs> that's uh that's really cool I yeah and it's good because it was sort of at that time when we we're at the carlton location that you know you were obviously tossing around the idea of going out on your own or obviously going to business with drew and um and you know we were having discussions at that time around sort of what your vision was and, uh, and that was obviously the development of Gript, which launched in 2014. And, you know, that was your first foray into, into business out on your own. And uh, here we are in 2022 and you've got Jungle HQ well and truly underway. But I know that there's been, you know, a hell of a, a road that you've taken to get to where we are today in terms of like the impact that COVID's had on your business, you know, especially, you know, with the fitness industry being so heavily hit, just like the hospitality industry has. So, you know, I'd love to touch on that with you today. Because I think that there's a lot can, that can be learned or a lot that can be discussed and, you know, people can draw some parallels. Um, but for anyone out there listening, you know, this 
podcast is primarily built around people who are, you know, food manufacturers and um, producers in the CPG space. And obviously the fitness industry is very different. Um, but I think that, like I just suggested, there are some parallels and, you know, business is business at the end of the day and, um, you know, lessons learned and there's a lot that we can draw from. So I was hoping we could just kick off into it. Mate, I'm an open book. So any questions you got? Awesome. Nice. So let's start off with Jungle HQ. Obviously, you know, you opened up Gripped. I'm sure that there was a lot that you learned throughout that process of opening and operating a gym and, you know, exiting a gym and then reopening your own. So tell everybody about Jungle HQ and exactly what it is that you're doing out there and and sort of um, what inspired that business. Um, yeah, I mean, there's obviously a few different uh, elements to that answer. Um, one of them being uh, without going back to the very beginning, but understanding that Gripped was my first business, which started out as the personal training company, which was set up through the Zap Fitnesses, as we mentioned, uh, where you and I met, where mm-hmm. I was, you know, subcontracting trainers to work for me in, in the way that I suppose you would with a tradesman, yeah. um, with apprentices, and then, you know, became pretty frustrated with... Um, I suppose, the limitations that were placed upon me without the cooperation um, of the gym franchise themselves, which led to uh, the the birth of the Grip Studio in 2014, as you mentioned, which mm. uh, you know, grew pretty rapidly. Um, and we found ourselves with, you know, a 600-square-metre space with um, two rooms, 400, 500 clients, seven staff, um, you know, over 100 visits every day. And so uh, that, was, that was a very epic learning experience. But what I did come to discover is, you know, two things. One, one about myself um, as a business owner and maybe a leader is that I didn't necessarily like being someone's boss. Yeah. Uh, and employees... Um, bring stress, more people, more problems in a way. I've heard that um, before. And there's, it was kind of this uh, this way off in a way because obviously when it's your brand and you've got staff underneath you, everything that you're doing is you're trying to bring it, uh, bring a service as good a quality as you can. Mm. Um, but you kind of have to compromise a little bit because the reality is, um, that if your employees were actually good enough at what they did to begin with, of course, we're trying to mentor them and develop them. That was a bit of the, um, I suppose, the, the pitch to getting people within that business is what mm. we could do for their personal development. But the, the long of the short is if they were probably at the standard of which you were hoping to have, then they would probably not be working for me. They mm. would probably be out and doing it uh, on their own because yeah. they don't necessarily need me for the demand of their books. And, um, you know, it's harder to justify giving away, I suppose, a, a 50% piece of the pie yeah. from your your time earnings. So um, they were many of the things that flowed into my decision-making here with Jungle HQ in that as well. Um, that business, you know, got to a point where it was quite large and, and like I think with a, a lot of businesses, you know, your goal is to kind of be able to be in a position where you can delegate responsibility and step back from the day to day and be off the tools, so to speak, if we stick with my trade analogy. But in doing that, mate, what happened was, um, uh, you know, the the people within the place and its presence, that's what influences culture. 
Mm. And with my absence probably within those four walls at the, um, you know, the frequency and capacity of which they once were, probably allowed uh, others to influence the culture of the place and um, steer into a direction that I didn't necessarily believe represented what I was all about anymore, Got um, which led to my my change of circumstance and, and I decided to sell, sell the business. So uh, I guess Jungle HQ was almost motivated uh, as a direct opposition of that in that, um, you know, that business was in South Yarra here in Melbourne, which is very... Um, I guess it's a, it's a high affluent area, but um, also maybe a little bit snobby for lack of a better word. Um, and, and again, that played into what I felt didn't uh, represent what I was about. So when we come up with the name Jungle HQ, I explained to people, well, what makes up a jungle is it's the diversity of an ecosystem in there. And essentially what I'm trying to encapture is that we represent radical acceptance of individuality and we're not a powerlifting gym we're not a bodybuilding gym we're not an elite athlete gym we are for uh joe blow and mary jane down the street you know anyone who wants to be in and welcome uh is allowed to be here and we've got a boutique uh i suppose exclusive membership here so giving people not only a world-class facility with the type of equipment um, fit out that we have but giving them an environment to train in which is not overcrowded, overwhelmed, or intimidating or anything like that, which you get in these large commercial gyms. So um, a very exclusive um, training experience, which has become highly valued by the people here and spoiled for choice when they've had to leave because of life circumstances. And my coaches that work out of here are subcontracted rather than um, in the same way that I was back in the Zap day. So they yeah. pay me a, uh, a rental fee and they operate their business out of it. And I sort of uh, view my role and responsibility to just manage that environment, the culture, and be the, I suppose, connecting piece to everybody's professional and personal development because I want to see them do as well as they can and achieve all those goals. And if we can uh, create, I guess, a shared uh, network yep. and support system, then that's what this kind of is. That's awesome, man. You know, there's a lot to unpack there, but I just want to sort of go back to the start as well. Like, you know, one of the the reasons that I followed you from, you know, the two Zap locations into Gripped and then obviously I, I moved over to Canada, but I dare say that I'd still have followed you to Jungle HQ as well. And the reason that is, is because I never at any stage felt like a number. Like you built rapport with not only me, but all of your clients. And it was pretty evident, you know, during the early stages of Grip that it was going to be a really special place because of the fact that, you know, you made everybody feel really welcome and you genuinely cared about their health and the goals that each individual client wanted to achieve. And I definitely felt that. Um, and that's really unique. And I think that there's something that can be taken away from that as well, you know, for other business op operators, because at the end of the day, like it's a relationship, you know, like business is relationships 100%. and, um, you know, whether you're trying to sell a product or a service at the end of the day, unless somebody, you know, aligns with you and you can align with their vision, you've got nothing. So at what stage did you sort of cotton onto that? Or is that sort of inherent in your nature? Um, mate, I suppose uh although some unfortunate circumstances uh in earlier life um unfolded uh i'm still grateful for those experiences in the um perspectives they gave me and the passion that was uh created so you know i know that this is a little bit about food as well and it kind of unfolds into the whole picture but 
you know, I was I was an athletic kid and, you know, going to uni and studying marketing and finance because I'd seen Wall Street too many times and I knew that I wanted money and that was plan B if sport didn't work out. And, um, you know, so PT was a really good job for someone who was already in the gym and already athletic um, with a pretty good hourly rate for a 17, 18-year-old. Yeah to get enough money to buy a new t-shirt and go out the piss on the weekend. <laughs> and uh, throughout those kind of very early years, what I, um, and again, probably the year before that too, is I had a, had a, a girlfriend develop an eating disorder, which resulted in some seriously deteriorated mental health. Yeah. And um, I guess what could only be described as a fairly genuine suicide attempt Um and a fairly similar thing with another female member within my family. And so, you know, those things hit me pretty deeply emotionally and uh, in my immature mind at that age as well, um, was very confused um, because I didn't understand how there's two young, beautiful women that I'm obviously close to, but I couldn't recognise these things and they were viewing themselves with, you know, hatred or negative internal dialogue um, created based on... um, you know, the reflection in the mirror and probably only being magnified with the up rising or birth of social media and now this uh, forever uh, warped comparison that we mm. kind of live in. So um, I, I guess the love that I felt for those two people and the uh, empathy and wanting to understand why this was happening and what I could actually do to... Uh, to prevent these things from happening to other people in similar situations. And so that was kind of my rabbit hole that sent me down the path of, uh, of nutrition in a way. And then, you know, I, uh, I kind of, I approached the right mentors and, um, you know, got some really good guidance and opened my world up to a more holistic view on nutrition. Um, and, you know, started to see the connections between inflammatory food groups and gut permeability and the production of neurotransmitters and what those neurotransmitters are doing in regard to our emotions and the way that we feel and, um, you know, how that then systemically flows throughout, I guess, your overall, your health and well-being. So my, my biggest motivator, I guess, behind it is it's not got nothing to do with six packs. It's actually, I want to create, uh, I suppose, a service that, uh, is is designed to help people be the the most blossomed and nourished version of themselves yeah. uh, and be happy. And I, I firmly believe that without, it's a bit of the chicken and the egg, you know what I mean? Like if you, with, without uh, good health, your happiness is only probably uh, temporary or kept at a bottleneck for its capacity. And when we're in, good health which is you know starts with good nutrition we we give ourselves the greatest opportunity to do well at whatever that goal may be so Mm -hmm. you know of course the way i've done things has evolved over time and got deeper in in its roots but um you know that is the crooks and the crux of of what i try and achieve with people and so again you can't do that because if i don't actually listen to you and understand you as an individual you know, you can see that that's going to be a very different approach depending on that individual. So mm. you need to, if you don't care, <laughs> you're going to get found out pretty quickly. And I've always kind of um, said that, you know, yeah, business, a goal, business's goal is to be profitable and make money. But if that's my motivation for business, I think it's you're going to fall short. 
um, because you can make money anywhere. And if I do a good enough job, the money will take care of itself. Mm. And at the end of the day, even in my own mental health and realizations through business waves, Mm. there's been periods where I've had the least amount of purpose and time obligation for work, yet the greatest amount of money coming in. And I was at my most miserable. So, uh, you know, for me, having purpose and fulfillment with my time and feeling appreciated for what I do and seeing other people grow and become, um, you know, happier and more successful off the influence that you've perhaps yep. um, encouraged, you know, that, that, that's, that's what does it for me. That's awesome, man. Um, obviously I've known you since 2013, so it's coming on quite a few years now. And I feel as if I have watched you, you know, via vicariously, especially over the last seven years, um, through social media, you're extremely open, you're honest, and you're not afraid to tell the truth. And, you know, through your Living Rewired podcast as well, I've been able to sort of track your progress. And, um, and the one thing that I've found really cool is that, you know, um, through the honest conversations that you've had with your guests, you know, people resonate with the story because it's not like, you're not trying to put through a polished sort of front, which is Mm -hmm. like you suggested, like the, the, um, the women that you had in your life that had the eating disorders, like that was part of the issue. And, um, and then there's another thing that I'd like to touch on as well. You know, um, every client is motivated by something different and you figured out quite quickly what I was motivated by. And I remember quite specifically, we were at Gripped. It was probably like within the first couple of months of you being there. And uh, I was just sort of like, you and I were working together as a one-on-one session and I didn't have a hell of a lot of energy. And I was sort of just like between sets, I didn't have much energy. And you're like, are you here or are you here? And it was like, you're like, and I can't remember the words that you use, but you're like, for fuck's sake, like, if you're going to be here, I want you to put everything into it because otherwise it's not worth your time. And if it's not worth your time, it's not worth my time. And that sort of like snapped me into gear. And I'm like, that's exactly what I needed. So whether you're working with clients or whether you're working with employees, you know, everybody's motivated by something different. And I think this could be a nice little piece for everybody out there listening as well. How do you figure out pretty early on what it is that motivates somebody? Um, mate, to be honest, I think it actually is a lot closer. Like a, everybody's motivation is actually a lot more similar than what we probably think mm. yet the routes and the paths of which we get to that root motivator um, may be chopped up in a million different ways. And, um, you know, I'll try not to get too spiritual or philosophical too quickly here, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm going to use myself um, as an example. Yeah. Um, is that typically the things that motivate us, particularly with um the gym and physical training is often something that we're quite insecure about and something that we are quite uh, unhappy with. And I guess the power of that motivation comes down to the individual and their willingness to actually uh, go exploring for that, which takes a fair bit of courage because Mm -hmm. you're deliberately picking at some scabs, but uh, for, I guess, the um yeah i guess for the discovery of you know heightened self-awareness mm. and i think that is really the key to everything is um to establish self-awareness um and then creating a sp- safe space for someone to be vulnerable in their um sharing of those things because 
once that, you know, one of my favourite sayings now is seek to understand before being understood. So, you know, I can't actually help you until I fully understand what it is that we're working uh, with there. So, mm. you know, those motivations may come down to, uh, you know, for, for me, for example, was um, I suppose being in certain physical confrontations when I was young and a little bit, a little bit crazier. And, uh, you know, so the gym was the motivation there to, okay, I'm going to get big enough and strong enough that no one's going to be able to hurt me again. Yeah. And then, um, you know, my, my life uh, changed a lot as I moved to Melbourne and moved to, into business and, and started doing more work on myself and my own self-awareness and unpacking to, um, I suppose, diminish perhaps some of that, um, I guess you'd call it anger, mm-hmm. um, that you, you carry around with. And, and, and as that sort of um, dissolved, what I've found is, okay, shit, now I need to reinvent my relationship with exercise because um, the motivation has changed and I'm trying to use the same ingredient of anger, channeled aggression, into my training, which now no longer exists. So I'm I'm not getting the same outcomes that I was looking for. And that, yeah. that's been a, a hell of a process and an interesting journey uh, myself. But, yeah, I, I think to, to understand everyone's motivations, like you said, mate, it's just a, to to create a, a safe space um, where someone can be vulnerable. And I've learned that if um, if I want somebody to be vulnerable with me, that in, in turn I have to be vulnerable with them. Mm-hmm. And if I, I can lead by example and show to somebody, oh, here's, here's your atypical, confident, alpha male type figure of which others may label me as, which is not my own words, but I'm here being able to tell you the things that, uh, keep me up at night or upset me or I have sensitivity about mm. and you know it usually follows with the same yeah that's awesome man even from a distance I still draw inspiration from what you're doing in your life and what you share on social media and you know I'd go so far as to say that you know you having the um, the courage to go into business in terms of like opening up grips uh, when I was just moved to Canada, you know, you got into boxing, you lost a ton of weight, you really stripped all of that muscle off your body and got yourself into peak condition to, you know, put yourself in a position to compete um, in the boxing realm for a while. Uh, what yeah. you do that, obviously, um, you shared quite a bit about moving out of the grip business and then, you know, um, the reformation of and um, growth that you took on when you opened up Jungle HQ. And, and then there are also some um, health um, you know, uh, you know, you had some issues with your health as well that you dealt with and you spoke quite openly on, um, on your podcast as well. So I think that, you know, for me, watching you constantly evolve and rebuild yourself and keep growing is motivation that I've found. So I wanted to thank you for that as well, because, you know, it's really easy to, um, you know, just go by in life and, you know, let the days go by and, you know, before you know it, it's five years down the road and you haven't really progressed. So when you're looking to the future, like, do you write down your goals? Like, how do you actually go about goal setting and, um, how do you keep on evolving? Like what's your sort of secret sauce there? Um, Again, I don't know if there's any secret source as such, but but I have an obsession with self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find it interesting when I look at the, let's say, the prevalence of things like anxiety and poor mental health. Yeah. And that's because we're very caught up in, um, you know, this world of instant gratification, distraction, comparison um, constantly. And I, and I see... Uh, 
a common issue with, with where people have discomfort sitting within their own company mm-hmm. and sitting in peace where mate I do I, that's all I do mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm not working I, I sure I've watched, I'm not going to say I don't watch a box set from time to time or yeah. you know something like that of course I'm human I like to have some as much as I'm a productive person I still think it's important to have that five or ten percent of your energy and time dedicated towards what I would call, you know, mind numbing, dumb yeah. shit. You know, yep. Just to, because so what? Um, mm-hmm. But but I love, I love sitting, um, just by myself in my thoughts, uh, mm-hmm. and that may happen with music, and it has happened a lot with the, I suppose, aiding of psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we can go into that a little bit further if you yeah, wanted to. to but yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, in those experiences, you know, I get the opportunity to listen to myself and understand what is important and what's um, priority and what the plan is and needing to evolve with it. And, you know, I'm in a position at the moment, mate, and it's, um, you know, I haven't actually spoken about any of this publicly because it's all really quite new, is that I've, um, you know, finished up most of my coaching responsibilities here on the gym floor, which has mm-hmm. only been delayed by COVID and a financial yeah. necessity, I suppose. Um and now I'm kind of in a position where I've been weighing up a few things, which is one of them opening another gym on a bigger scale. Mm-hmm. Um, or, uh, and I also am looking to, you know, buy a home and do a renovation and um, those things. And in a, in a strange way, mate, the me opening another gym would be the safe move. Yeah. And uh, because it's what I know, I've done it two times. This would be the third. Um, it's all very familiar the projections on the business plans and the, the numbers look really good and there's a lot of incentive to do there but i i consider um my own personal development and if i if i do that i'm signing myself to another two years of you know really stress uh head down grinding yeah i think about what am i going to learn about myself in these two years and uh versus if i don't do it and for me not doing it is actually the risk Mm. And after spending 14 years of getting up at 4.30 and grinding and putting in these hours, and mm-hmm. as you mentioned, getting sick last year, my motivations and reasons and priorities have changed and it's much more about lifestyle now than necessarily just the dollar value. So, yeah. you know, being able to give myself um, the the hours to sleep properly and have a morning routine that involves meditation and maybe reading a book for half an hour or 20 minutes and then walking the dog before getting into any work things, which is things mm-hmm. that I've had to sacrifice due to my line of work um, for the best part of a decade. Um, you know, so that's that that's exciting. And then um, spending time, I suppose, foraging and building more relationships, like you mm-hmm. said. Um, and if my time is fully taken up by this other project, well, I'm not going to have the energy and time available to... Um, to invest into these new relationships that come and, and the uncertainty and the unknown of all that is, is pretty exciting to me because I know that that's where the answers are going to come in terms of um, diversity and opportunity. So, um, mate, I don't think there's a secret source as such or I, I don't necessarily sit down and do formal five-year plans or anything overly conventional like that, but I would describe myself as somebody uh, with a pretty... Uh, pretty decent depth of introspective um, thought and understanding. Um, and I'm just constantly 
yeah, analyzing and reflecting my decisions and trying to, um, you know, forecast the outcomes and what that's going to create for me. Dude, that's awesome. I'm really excited to sort of see what does uh, occur over the next sort of five year period for you, because you know, you do do a lot within sort of that period of time. Like it's a lot of time to do something with, um, psychedelics. It was really cool to hear that you've doubled in psychedelics. When did you have your first experience? My first experience with psychedelics was probably about eight years ago. Yeah. What was it? It was DMT. So I Mate, you went off the meter board. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. That's a uh, bucket list experience for me. I really want to try DMT at some stage. Mate, um, I was only talking to a friend last night about psychedelics. And, um, you know, a- again, my first psychedelic experience with DMT, it was a bit yeah. of a stitch up. Uh, a good friend of mine, um, he... He introduced me to it and he goes, oh, mate, have you ever tried DMT? And I'd never heard of it and um, had no idea what he was talking about. And he goes, oh, mate, they nickname it the Smoko drug. I've, yeah. To this day, I've never heard anyone else call it the Smoko no, drug. No, it's usually the spirit oracle or something like that. Yeah. 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 And, I'm, and and his justification for that nickname was that it only lasts 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, and that you just see a few geometrical shapes and colours and I was like, okay, yeah, no worries. And uh, there we go. We, we smoked the DMT and with no, I guess, no matter how much conversation takes place, there is literally nothing that you could do to prepare somebody for um, for what they're about to experience. Yeah. And so um, I literally experienced what felt like a death, uh, you know, complete dissolving of the ego as they discussed Um you know, it's like trying to explain a kaleidoscope, one mm. of those things to a blind man. It's just impossible. And uh, I felt like I went and lived a whole other life. And from that moment, what it kind of did is I didn't necessarily take away any conscious sort of thoughts that I discovered, but rather a uh, the courage to now step away from an old friendship group that was not uh, nourishing or servicing me Um in the way that I was probably seeking and the type of people that I wanted to be surrounded by and yep. kind of affirmed your um, your fears and which is, okay, maybe I'm not loved as much as what I'm loving them and trying to get their acceptance and mm-hmm. you stepped out onto your own and it just gave me the confidence to know that, yep, you're on the money and there's more out there and you're not just, you know, forever feeling dissatisfied and half full because, um, you know, I just wasn't surrounded by the right people that had the same, you know, area of interest and thoughts as me. So, you know, it was a pretty pivotal moment. Um, so it was a perspective shift that you had. Massive perspective shift. Mm. And, um, you know, since uh, I did quite a lot of DMT over that first year of then discovering it and became, you know, like my life had changed. Mm. And, um, you know, since then, it's been quite a long time since I've done DMT now, but I've had some, you know, Quite a few um, psilocybin mushroom experiences yep. at different doses, whether that be micro doses, which is um, you know the create creative dose, no mm-hmm. uplifting yep. of mood, and it's got quite positive um, research become bodies of research building and building about their effects for um, you know depression and so forth, um, and also then in their larger doses, um, you know the ability to help with things like post traumatic stress disorder or. Mm alcoholism tobacco addiction um and so many things so again i've had some some really profound experiences particularly in lockdown when you know the business was shut it was new business was pretty angry with the world didn't understand what these things that were going on i can only imagine yeah 
felt really, really depressed and, um, you know, to a point of, uh, of being uh, bothered by suicidal thoughts um, nearly on the daily for a number of weeks um, and found myself even in Bunnings to get something and got caught staring at rope for half an hour fantasizing about what it is that you're going to hang yourself with and then I went and had a, um, a big mushroom trip which I do in ceremony by myself and write down my intentions and have sort of meditative and massage and Buddhist music and things that are stimulating frequencies within your chakras and um, went from again went from that state of place to all of a sudden an overwhelming sense of gratitude for all the beautiful things and the love that I do have in my life and it's just those perspectives and paradigm shifts that Mm. um, that I find are so powerful to help realign your value system when you feel like you've um, you've you know gone off path but again these things need to be handled with great responsibility and due care knowing that you are fucking with people's subconscious minds here and it's mm-hmm. something that, you know, you're letting out a lifetime of thoughts come out of a really small hole really, really fast and that, if not done in the appropriate manner with the appropriate experience, the appropriate guidance and the build-up of that dose and having a sense of familiarity may actually be more traumatic than, um, you know, therapeutic depending on um, that individual. So they, they, I do put a big asterisk there next to it that psychedelics are, they can be got a lot of fun and they can be done socially and they can mm. be done recreationally. Yep. But their true beauty, I don't think those, is that what they're there for, but they should be handled with a lot of care. I, mate, you are so articulate and the way that you just sort of expressed all of that was just perfect. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, yeah, I agree. It's a medicine that I wish more people could be served and I think that it can only benefit our, um, you know, society, especially with all of the troubles that we're sort of witnessing right now. You know, we're seeing so many issues in our culture, you know, not only in the US, but I'm definitely feeling it here in Canada. I don't know what things are like in Australia, but I know that the impact of COVID on, you know, Melbourne in particular was freaking incredible. And, um, you know, you sort of wore the brunt of it with your business. So, you know, it's, I would love to sort of see, you know, throughout that period, obviously you, you know, you did some pretty heavy doses of psilocybin yep. and it really changed your perspective on things, which was amazing to hear. Um, you know, where do you sort of see it going? Do you sort of see that one day it will be more accessible for everybody? You know, there'll be um, dispensaries that people can go into or, you know, places where they can work with a shaman and sort of get more of a handheld experience? Yeah, sure, mate. And, um, you know, there are some of these things that already exist, but obviously they're not um, something that's easily discovered because it's Considered probably mainstream. operating illegal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but again, man, like I've done some seminars in the past, um, one that we created called Taboo Truths. And we speak a lot about these um, these topics and issues. And, you know, when we look at the 2019 statistics from the US with drug and alcohol-related mm-hmm. deaths and overdoses, um, don't quote me exactly on these figures because we taught the last time in 2019, but the number one was benzodiazepine with about 800,000. Yeah. Uh, number two was fi- uh, 500,000 with tobacco, 350,000 alcohol, 120,000 amphetamines and cocaine, uh, LSD, zero, marijuana, one. So obviously there's a few things in between there, like there would have been ketamine and some Mm -hmm. others in between, but let's have a look at that. So the top three things that are killing the most people are either legal or prescribed. Taxed. And you're going to tell me (laughs) I'm an idiot. Yeah, I know. For having some psilocybin mushrooms, which has had zero deaths from LSD. Yeah. uh, I suppose it's just the, the chemical um form in a way 
and uh, or, or an idiot for having a tote of a joint, a plant that comes out of the ground. And and we know that um, we, we it, it's been fairly well, um, you know, explored that a lot of civilizations had these things as part of their, like the rituals and ceremonies of, mm. um, you know, coming into wisdom and adulthood and um, a lot of religion um, evolved from psychedelic experiences. I mean, you're going to try and tell me that Jonah or whatever his name is with the rainbow-coloured coat wasn't on uh, psilocybin back in the Bible days or some sort of mushroom to make that. I'm sure uh, there's something to that, yeah. No doubt. Um, so, you know, it, it's. It, I think there is this, it's a slow movement um and australia are a little bit slower than what probably the states are um but we do mirror i suppose what the western world do just yep. on a you know, slower scale and i mean yep. there's been good movements in towards i suppose you know the medicinal uh use of marijuana for some people uh because again when we look at the alternative to using heavy opiates for let's say pain management for many of those athletes which is um you know an issue and the addiction and the detriment that those can play to your life, you mm. know, that's probably that's probably a better thing. Um, same with you know the the frequency of Valium and anti-anxiety medications and whatever. So that, that that's good to see that it's starting to creep into society. I think the um, this I think mushrooms have become legal in a couple states in in America. Yeah, they I'm have. Not, yeah. I'm not sure of what sort of capacity or you know um, delivery that is done but um you know I, i'm pretty confident that um over time it's something that will become more accepted as it's more understood and the way it's going to do that is by becoming less of a taboo which is mm. exactly why i speak about it with no real care if you want to judge me for or for not because i'll argue with anyone mm. uh, about it really um yeah. with your opinion and we're all entitled to our opinions but you know, if I just, again, try and explain to those that may be listening that are a little bit more curious about how these things work is it's said that on average we have 60,000 thoughts per day and 96% of those thoughts are subconscious, meaning that they are essentially running in the background, which are controlling our emotional reactions to everyday situations. And those subconscious thoughts have been created from a, a lifetime, okay? Your experiences today influence your experiences tomorrow mm -hmm. simple as that and your subconscious beliefs are from you know i guess what you've been exposed to on a number of times over and over and when we look at what anxiety actually is by definition by my definition it's essentially an inability to be present so you're living your life in the future based off past experiences which is making you exactly that very anxious, anxious. so how do we actually deal with that? So when we when we have uh, a psychedelic drug like psilocybin mushrooms, because essentially what they do is they kind of put the conscious mind to sleep in a way and, and leave you open the gates to your subconscious mind. So as I mentioned about the um, the importance of doing these things very slowly, because if you've never done anything in the realm of meditation or breath work or even psychedelics and these kinds of things before it can be very overwhelming because there's those 60,000 thoughts per day 96 percent of the subconscious from an entire lifetime coming out of a really small hole really really fast uh -huh. um but with i suppose yeah time in that realm of consciousness things become more familiar and it gives you the opportunity to kind of do a bit of a 
a hard drive clean out and you can see what is the bullshit story that you've been telling yourself for the last 10 years of what's important and who you're meant to be and what's mm-hmm. actually true, you get the full lie detected self, the lie detected test put right in front of you. Um, and, and again, just things put into perspective of what is important, what you appreciate, what's not serving you well. Um, they are very, very powerful. And I think, um, yeah, with time, you can really start to, um, to use them for an enhanced life. Mm, dude, I couldn't agree more. You know, in my experience, there's been nothing but a benefit. I've had, um, you know, I've had some amazing trips that, you know, I can't even describe. And I've had a couple of bad trips as well, which is probably exactly what I needed to sort of work through some, you know, some you don't of my get past. what you're looking for, but exactly. you always get what you need. Yeah, and that's the best way to put it as well. You know, um, I've got some family that are hesitant to take psych, um, psilocybin. And the way I talk about it is if you're going to go into it with hesitation, you know, try and look at it through this lens. Like before you go to sleep at night, are you paranoid and you're stressed out that you're going to have some nightmares and the answer is always no like you're going to go to sleep and you're sort of what you know what occurs is out of your control and i think if you can approach a a psychedelic experience in the same light like what will be will be and and i'll be able to sort of work my way through it i think you'll you know most likely have a great experience but i think the set and the setting is extremely important and like you said the dose the dose as well is yeah paramount yeah and and again these are things where it's like you know you've got to be submissive Mm-hmm. Um, because if you don't submit to those things, that's where you will probably find yourself in a little bit of a tangle. Yeah. Um, and I think it's valuable at times for people to write down their intentions, have yeah. an intention with the exercise rather than just going in and exploring. Well, yeah. let, let's have a bit of that, um, you know, self-reflection beforehand and go, well, what are the things assessing, assess your life and what other things that perhaps you wish were different or, mm wanted to improve or we're uncertain about whether that be a business decision whether that be about a relationship whether it be it could be anything Um, and you know have those intentions written down so that at least if you find yourself drifting into a place because you do have to still try to captain your ship a little bit Mm -hmm. and navigate your thoughts and um, you can then just kind of draw yourself back to your intention if you're not uh, you know liking necessarily where your mind is going but at the same time I've found you know, based on the type of experience you're looking for, you know, music is a big uh, influence on that. So yeah. what kind of uh, what kind of music and playlists have you put together if you're doing it with sound because, you know, music digs up our emotions. So mm-hmm. you know, I've had trips that have gone from being, like I said, very meditative and, um, you know, things like binaural beats and, yeah. um, you know, deep introspective thoughts. And then I've had some where I felt a bit cooped up and, um have wanted to let out let off a bit of steam and have had some very um i don't know how to describe the music it's almost um cinematic think like hans zimmer time and orchestra and yeah um you know very deep moody stuff mm-hmm. uh you know which is to maybe let a bit of that raw emotion out and so though the the music serves its purpose but then again I've had times where I like to just sit in silence as well. So it really depends on what you're looking for, but your environment, 100%, as you mentioned, and obviously uh, any other stimulus that you're giving yourself um, being music will influence the direction of which you're going to take. Yeah, dude. You know, um, it kind of reminds me of an ayahuasca experience that, um, you know, I've heard plenty about. Sorry? 
You've done ayahuasca? No, I would love to. It's no, you know, both DMT both. and ayahuasca. Like they're two things that I'm definitely going to do in this lifetime. But no, yeah. Aubrey Marcus, I don't know if you listen to Aubrey Marcus. Yeah. yeah, he talks about ayahuasca quite a lot and the role that a shaman plays, you know, in taking you on a journey with the music and, um, you know, guiding you. And it's a real guide. Like they really take you throughout that experience and can somewhat, you know, bring you into certain spaces just through, you know, the intent of the music that they're playing, which I thought was really cool as well. Mm. and i don't know man like again without trying to get too conspiracy and rabbit hole with it again yeah. you just look at like, like you said the the top three things they're prescribed or legal yeah uh versus the psilocybin mushrooms that can just grow in the forest yeah um you know i think that's some of the resistance because whether it be the food industry whether it be big pharma yeah it is uh, but there's there's no money in prevention and it really saddens me and it gets me frustrated and well, that, the yeah. that you know i only have to go to the supermarket across the road mm. and walk down the health food aisle mm -hmm. and look at things that have got a government five-star health rating on them which are directly correlated and causing um chronic disease and metabolic dysfunction yeah. which is you know what the majority of our hospitals are overwhelmed with is people you know 67 percent of australia is overweight mm. that is a horrible stat mm -hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, again, it's, it's very hard through COVID and things like these. I never knew that this industry was going to open my eyes to, to such, I said, guess, political constructs, uh, given that, you know, this whole time we've been like, this is for your health. Well, yeah. no, it's not. Because hypothetically, just hypothetically, uh, if we pulled all the Coke and soft drink off the shelves and made that illegal, from the day that COVID started, it would have saved more lives than any fucking vaccine could have. Yeah, I know. It's a sad state, isn't it? Um, I have seen some of the, um, you know, some of the content that you've put up where you've been walking around the Paran market, you know, um, you know, going to a butcher, you know, getting them to cut some liver and some organ meat into the mince that you're getting and, you know, really telling that story about getting back to basics and sort of that primal diet that our bodies of evolutionary been built around. And, um, you know, it's really hard to sort of go past sort of the, um, you know, the genetic makeup that we're all built by and, you know, trying to improve your life, like you said, through diet and, you know, ensuring that we're fueling our body with the right fuel sources. Um, but the reason I bring this up is because I really feel that you're a master of, you know, your social media and content creation. And to close out the podcast, I just wanted to sort of touch on your strategy and sort of how you go about creating content and, um, you know, obviously using that as a lever to sort of tell your story and get your story out there to not only um, bolster, you know, the business that you've built, but also the brand that you're building um, and drawing in more clients and sort of the, the funnel that you've sort of built around that as well. Um, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your strategy and how you sort of map that out. Um, again, mate, my strategies are very loose. Uh, yeah. I operate a lot off instinct and gut feeling, um, mm -hmm. but also from a position of confidence too, um, that at the end of the day, if I have your attention, I have the greatest likelihood of having your business. Yeah. And if you try and please everybody, I think that's the quickest way to fail. Um, and, you know, perhaps life circumstances earlier before I stepped into business prepared me to deal with perhaps um, confrontation or, um, you know, controversy. Yeah. So we are in an industry that has been saturated with a lot of bullshit and um, we're not selling furniture here. So, you know, if I'm selling you a 
pew leather couch and labeling it leather cool i'm a i'm a i'm a scam artist and i i made some money off you but i didn't actually hurt anyone um where a lot of the advice that is given and stuff you're fucking with people's health Mm. and i've seen what happens when people have got poor health we're constantly driven to this this starvation eat less move more model which is just so fucking narrow in its perspective uh of other things that uh need to be considered um you know fad diets um just it's all the marketing ploy you know what i mean Mm. and social media is great because it's given people like me an opportunity to get their voice out there but it's also given many people a voice who would be best kept to shut the fuck up um yeah and so you know i i don't ever uh go out and harmfully try and attack somebody because i don't agree with their opinion but i will um you know, I'll speak in which a way of where I don't try and tell people what to think. I try and teach people how to think. Yeah. Um, and by giving them the perspectives to try, hopefully figure it out for themselves. And um, in just my, in my honest uh, delivery of such things and fairly, just like you said before, when I said to you years ago, like, mm. mate, you're either here or you're not. Like, mm. don't waste all the time. Don't waste mine if you're not up for training today. Yeah. That's fine. Go yeah. rest. Like. Yeah whatever and you know that 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 really works with some people but some people in this world that has become very politically correct and sensitive you know will will quickly label me rude or mm-hmm. arrogant for being honest just because they don't like the answer and i guess i'm at a point in my life and my career where i've done it long enough now where you know i'm beyond the point of uh if you don't care I've got enough of my own problems i'm not yeah. going to worry if you don't care i don't care if you yeah. care then i'll i'll do everything i can for you, but I'm not in the business of convincing you to care anymore. But mm. when you tell me what you care about, well, I'll help you achieve what you care about, yeah. no matter what that is. And so uh, my social media strategy, mate, has just been, um, yeah, just be, be, be direct. If I don't like something, I don't like something. I, uh, I interact. So every single person that comments or messages me, I uh, you know, of course, I'm human. Some slip through the cracks, but for the most part, 95% of people get a response or get acknowledged, and um, I appreciate them taking the time to send me a message or give me feedback or say thank you. Um, and again, I've never been too concerned about uh, the 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 content that you're putting out there in terms mm. of giving away secrets or any bullshit like that. Because at the end of the day, like I said, my my objective is to try and help people and bring value. And if I'm willing to give away this information for free, well, imagine what information I can actually give you for my paid services yeah. and time. So, um, uh, mate, there's a, my, my, my objective with social media has changed a lot over years as well, going from, you know, pretty heavy training focus to a promotion um of you know gripped and and even jungle and now it's um moved much more into the sort of the health and performance coaching perspective and and again like you know these the propaganda that exists within the food industry and trying to promote things it just it baffles my mind a lot of it that that you know so many people like i said you don't get 67 percent of a of a population overweight without poor understanding of nutrition and i think um you know a saying that i learned from charles poliquin as he mentored me was a confused mind says no and there that's so much of what we've got you go onto social media and you've got conflicting information everywhere so Mm -hmm. um the way i'm going to build rapport with people is by being honest vulnerable like we've discussed today uh relatable so maybe now you'll actually listen to me and i can provide those perspectives that hey 
That's what Living Rewired is about. Let's have a look at how we lived because the face of what health is has changed more in the last two or three decades than what it has in the last thousand years. And that's yeah. because, you know, electricity was only invented 140 <coughs> years ago or whatever it was. So what influence has the light globe and electricity played on disruption to our sleep-wake cycles and circadian rhythms and what mm. flow and effect and cascade sequence does that create uh, the preservatives and the pesticides in food, the, the way that we're mass producing to try and keep up with population growth. All of these things have brought in a lot of emotional issues that has blurred the objective truth about what good nutrition is. But, you know, it's, if we, most people have been, well, all of us, we've been born into this modern world. So we don't actually have anything to compare it to. So unfortunately, it's just, it's accepted as normal. Yet when we look at the evolution of our species, we didn't sit down for extended periods of time every day and we didn't sit under artificial light we were in the sun we drank um water we didn't have sugar we had nat we, our sugars came from you know natural food fruit. Made yeah. like fruit yeah and honey um and we all evolved on meat and that split of macronutrient whether it be you know high fat or high carb has largely been influenced on where your heritage has evolved from. If we mm -hmm. look at the Eskimos, they ate 80% fat and 20% protein. If you look at Asian societies, you know, they eat a lot more rice and things like that. So, you know, again, another rule of thumb of what's going to work for you, it's all going to fit within the standard bell curve. Yeah. And we've got outliers and, you know, they'll sing with a lot of conviction uh, about how they got that. But the, for the most part, 88% of us are going to follow, you know, an ancestral style diet and thrive from doing that because genetically and historically it's what our body needs every single cell in the human body other than white blood cells is composed of protein the amine the neurotransmitters in our brain the chemicals that are responsible for making us think feel and act are created from the amino acids in protein looking at bioavailability if you do not eat what your body is made out of expect to have some issues simple yeah. as that it's yeah. really not that complicated my answer to nutrition to everybody is if you just live your life by this question, when people want to know whether or not to eat something, don't worry so much about the calories, nourish your body, eat plenty of it, and eat good food, is was it available 10,000 years ago? If the answer is no, 99% of the time, probably don't want you to eat it. If the answer is yes, then great, eat it and eat plenty of it. If it's been provided by Mother Nature, then you know that's not by coincidence. And yeah, sure, of course, take it. We, we, we're grateful that we live in places with nice restaurants and fancy foods and you can do these things that are enjoyable and social but don't take the pits like if, if i like cheeseburgers as much as you do but if i eat a cheeseburger every night i'm not going to be very fucking fit and healthy and that's going to give me outcomes that i'm not looking for so i'm yeah. not going to eat a cheeseburger every day i might have one once every two weeks yeah you know so still live your life but i kind of live by this sort of 90 percent rule that you know, the things that I'm consuming, were, were they available 10,000 years ago? If the answer is yes, I think you're on a pretty good fucking path to improve health and well-being. Dude, I love your monologues. This is why I love your podcast. You need to get more podcasts out there. It's been a yeah. while since you've put an episode out. <laughs> yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. But, yeah, uh, I'm going to put, yeah, mate, I'm going to put your link to your podcast in the show notes for anybody else that wants some more of Jack Boone. Uh, mate, thank you so much for your time today. You're a bloody inspiration in my life, even though there's so much distance between us. So thank you very much for, you know, doing all that you do in the world. And um, for anybody that was interested in following along on your journey, how is the best to get in touch? Uh, mate, probably through Instagram is my main social media avenue. So Jungle Jack um, on there. And obviously, I've got my Living Rewired platform through the yep. Jungle HQ website, which is um, 
you know, a lot of content that I don't display on social media there with greater insights into nutrition, exercise tutorials, training insights and coaching stuff. So, you know, have a browse as a seven day free trial on there. But um, yeah, that's me, man. But uh, thank you very much. It's nice to catch up with you and talk to you and hear that everything's going well in your life, mate. And um, yeah, good to chat. Yeah, no, you too, Jack. Take care, mate. Bye. You brother. Thanks for listening today. If you have any questions from today's episode or would like to know more about what I can do to help you achieve your packaging vision, you can reach me directly at Hayden at thepackheavypodcast.com. You could DM me on Instagram at thepackheavypodcast or we could also connect on LinkedIn and start a conversation there.